0: to the Homestead Connection. Kylie, Brenna, Steph, and Molly are all here today, and we're really excited to start talking about gardening and what our gardens are going to look like here for 2024, but before we kick off, happy Valentine's Day. I hope you guys are having a fun day with your family and your spouses. (laughs) Steph is not a fan. (laughs) We did think about doing like a whole Valentine's Day themed episode today. Like a long time ago we were like, "Oh, we could do a podcast episode with the husbands." And then lo- logistically, the idea of that was just like it just wasn't going to pan out. But we really did thought think about going like real deep with the whole Valentine's Day theme, but instead, <laughs> we're going to talk about gardens instead.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, my husband would yeah, that would have been a hard pass here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah nate would have just sat and felt guilty i feel like he would have been like "Cause we don't really do anything for valentine's day and so then it's like well we wouldn't have like what would we i mean i think i don't even know what we would have talked about we never even really talked about what we would talk about but he okay. would just be so stinking awkward
2: well, he to like <laughs> to like I don't know, brag a little bit here for Steph and I, but the boys have already, like our guys, have been on the podcast, so they'd be like, okay, whatever, you're making That's us do it again, true. fine. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of seasoned in.
0: But yeah, I think it would have been yeah. a whole gamut, like a whole new ball game. That is true, because like you guys had your husbands on when you talked about hunting, mm-hmm. which was, mm-hmm. I liked that episode, hearing like Kyle and Bo's perspective yeah. and hearing your guys's like, you just guys talking as married couples, that was like a fun that was a fun listen for me
1: that yeah, was so really good
2: in the future, in the future we might decide to do that again or something
3: with all the hubs we
2: should do something.
3: we should have we should a husband have... take over oh. i don't know how that would work because they've like never
1: talked to each other except for Beau and Kyle. well <laughs> and my husband is I, when i say my husband's an introvert you guys like he doesn't talk like <laughs> At all. <laughs> so I'm not, like, it's just he and I, he'll talk. But if it's not he and I, he'll just sit there and look at you. <laughs> talk. So. worth us try. It'd be a very quiet one. And, you know, talking about hunting and, like, killing things and providing meat is very different than talking about Valentine's Day, you know? I mean, well, right. Yeah, for you sure. have to
0: find a really
2: good topic. Maybe they could talk about, like, World War II or something. All the guys could get on board with talking about some historical date. <laughs> and we could talk about... <laughs>
0: i yes. was thinking like cars or something or I mean, um, or uh just like what it's like to be um a husband on a homestead with wives who are <laughs> homesteading.
2: if any of you guys have any suggestions that we should approach our husbands with to be on a podcast episode yes. about yeah. let us know yes there you go.
0: yes it's awesome it's a good idea <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about gardens. I know we we talked a little bit about spring prep two weeks ago. Um, just kind of like what we were getting ready to start kind of gearing our interest and our time with as we head into spring. But now we really are on the front end of having to start seeds, especially for those of us who are in like the northern, more northern climates. So for people who are new to see or like new to gardening, we thought we would kind of touch touch on some of the basics of getting a garden started and seed starting and some of those things and then maybe talk a little bit about what we're planning on doing with our gardens this year and um chat a little bit about that so uh, for those of you guys who don't know, I know a lot of you guys follow along with us pretty regularly, but Molly and I are a little bit more north with our growing zones, whereas like Steph is south in Texas. Um, and then Brenna is kind of like in a weird position right now because while she lives in a more northern climate right now in Colorado, by the time gardening season rolls around, she's actually going to be in Florida. So she'll be in a more southern climate when she's like growing things, too. So we're in unique positions because molly and i end up having to start quite a few seeds like indoors late winter early spring to transplant whereas like these like brenna and steph you guys can do more direct sowing than that i could ever dream of honestly
3: which really brenna when by the time you get there you're gonna be in like the too hot to grow anything season so you're basically Mm -hmm. gonna be in like your second winter if that makes sense Yeah, So you still have time to get things settled before you really have to start thinking about gardening.
1: Yeah, and then I'll do a fall crop of some sort because that's actually the only time you can do your lettuces and your kales and like Mm -hmm. the more leafy vegetables. Otherwise, everything just shrivels up and dies under the heat.
0: (laughs) That's a good point. You have a very long growing season too, Steph. What zone are you? I'm zone eight. Oh, let me see. Molly, what zone are you? Are you four? four? Yeah. That's what I thought. I'm five. I'm right on the edge of 5A, 5B. Yeah. So I'm right I always like plant 4A, and look 5A. at my seeds like I'm 5A. You know, like I plan for the colder temperatures. I plan for the earlier frost and the later frost. You know what I mean? Like, um, and then if it if it ends up being a little bit warmer, then that's a pro. But I always kind of like gear more towards that like 5A growing zone but I they just adjusted what all the growing zones were though they, they like shifted them all down just a smidge mm-hmm. yeah so I went from 8a to 8b
1: yeah 8a to 8b but
0: maybe I'm a full 5b then instead of I'm right, looking on the edge. End up right now too
1: <laughs> I'm a 5b here but what I'll be when I move if I move to the area that I'm thinking I'm going to move to because I don't even have home yet, <laughs> but that's going to be 8B or 9A, which is interesting. But when I was really, really growing stuff in Florida, yeah, well, when I was really growing stuff in Florida, I was 10. Sure. So I was really south. Um, that's where I could grow those cool cotton candy berries I was telling you guys about. Yeah. So good.
0: So that's like a huge thing when starting your garden is understanding what zone you live in, because your growing zone will help to determine one when your earliest frost dates are in the fall, and then when you can expect your last frost date to be, um, so then you're gonna know when you can plant, plant your seeds inside because your seed packet will kind of show you what zone, like what zones the seeds are hardy for, when you should start them indoors, and when the best. Range of times is to potentially transplant them outside. Um, but the seed packets, I don't feel like are the most reliable. It's like better to have a good understanding of what zone you live in and then what seeds are hardy to your area. Because mm-hmm. it's like Brenna said, I'm not going to be able to grow things in Northern Illinois that Brenna might be interested in growing in, you know, in Florida. Um, and so just having kind of a grasp on what type of stuff you can grow in your area and when you need to start it indoors and transplant it outside really hinges on what zone you are, like what zone you're, you're living in.
1: Yeah. It's also not, I don't, well, I don't know about you guys, but it's not even quite just the zone. It's also understanding the weather patterns of your area, but we get hail here. And so mm-hmm. even though I was within my zone for planting and for direct sowing, by the time I got my seeds out, we had really bad hail. And so, Here it's kind of hard to plant at any time because we get hail during the summer and then it's really cold during or you know during the winter, so we get like we have a very, very short growing season where you're not getting attacked by something from the sky.
0: Yeah, yeah, I try to wait until like I guess the rule of thumb for my area is wait to transplant things until Mother's Day or like after Mother's Day, that feels late to me. By the time Mother's Day rolls around, I feel like I could have had something in the ground for like at least a week or two, but I generally wait. Um, Last year, though, I started a ton of stuff inside. So I did tons of tomatoes, tons of peppers. Basically, I started 100% of my seeds inside. The only thing I direct sowed was like radishes and carrots and then my peas and like my, my, um, leafy greens, but I had stuff that was like suffering in their pot waiting to be transplanted outside. And I was like, it probably would have been better for me to transplant them outside a week or two earlier than quote unquote recommended. Um, because I think they struggled just as much like trying not to become root bound in the pot as they would have been if I had just put them outside with it being a little too cold.
2: Yeah, and like for me, where I just looked at my zone map and I'm now a full 4A, kind of flirting Dang. with the edge of 3B. And so I shifted like a whole zone, um, which is interesting. But we also are like plant Mother's Day weekend. You know, you you're done by mid-September, yeah. October-ish, if you're lucky. Um but the the interesting part for me is a couple years ago i did not get my garden in because i had a newborn baby at home and i didn't get a garden in until the first week of june and it was the best garden i've ever had and i planted it so late i was surprised with the yield i got off of it so like you know you always say like you shoot for a certain date but like don't let that deter you if you are like late to the game or whatever you still get them in the ground you're still gonna get something or you hope to get something right
0: true And there's a lot like tomatoes, especially because tomatoes are one of those things that have such a long period before they produce fruit. like tomatoes watermelon it's like all of these things have such a long period of time before you actually start to see fruit off of them, but um some of those things can like vine ripen too so if you get them in the ground late and you still have a ton of green tomatoes you can cut them and vine ripen them like in the closet or in the basement or not Mm -hmm. in the closet i guess because you still need sun but like you can vine ripen them indoors i guess you know to maximize what you what was that
2: I said, we've done that when we've had early frosts and i have yeah. a lot of green tomatoes i'll cut them down right at the the you know the base i'll hang them upside down just inside and then i'll let them ripen and it works flawlessly super well um but that's you know when we get really early frosts and i want to try to save some of them
0: i did that in the middle last seven. year because we got a huge storm oh, this like we had straight line winds it broke off probably eight of my amish paste tomato plants which I was really banking on and it was early enough that I'd hardly had any um ripe fruit from them which was a bust like it kind of threw off all my tomatoes anyways whatever I vine ripened those like in the end of July and they did freaking fabulous
3: okay I have a question what's that so with y'all I guess nine times out of 10, having to vine ripen your tomatoes like towards the end of the season because your season is so short because you're basically cutting the plant. So it's no longer able to pull the nutrients. What's the difference between that versus just picking all of the green tomatoes and letting them ripen off of the vine?
2: Honestly, I don't really know what the difference is like scientifically But I know it takes up so much less room to be able to hang them on something and just have them out of the way versus having buckets of tomatoes or like laying them flat across my counters and my kitchen table. So that way they're all like getting, you know, sunlight around them. And so like for me to just hang them up on something, like I normally take twine and I wrap the stem and then I go to the next one, I wrap the stem and then I hang them up onto the wall. Um, Mm -hmm. That takes up so much less room for me. So it just saves space, I guess. Okay. Mine I don't know is, if that's the right answer, but
0: <laughs> my reason behind it is cuz a couple of years ago so this is my this will be my 10th I'm coming into my 10th year of wow. doing like a, a real like garden, not just like, you know, I'd have a couple plants. This is like my first or my 10th year doing like a nice big garden. And so I've done like the whole vine ripening thing or like picking them off the vine and letting them ripen in a box or whatever. And I don't like, I feel like I get mushy tomatoes, bruised tomatoes, or moldy tomatoes. If I just throw like a hundred yes. tomatoes in a box or, you know, 50 tomatoes in a box or whatever, versus just letting them like have be exposed to the air and not have the pressure and stuff like that i don't know if i don't think it goes any faster and i don't know if there's any like nutritional quality differences but that's i just feel like i get to use more of the tomatoes if i just hang them upside down and let them vine dry or vine ripen i agree with that
1: do you guys ever make like green fried green tomatoes or pickled tomatoes or anything like that out of the greens ones? I love those.
2: So cool. My father-in-law loves fried green tomatoes. And last year I wanted to take some and can them because I've seen people actually can the green slice them and can the green tomatoes. And I never mm-hmm. got around to it. And so I plan to do that this summer because I want to give it to them for Christmas next year. Cool. Um I just didn't like all my green tomatoes, like the the nice round, perfect green tomatoes, they all got too ripe too fast, so I didn't get them off to do that. Um, but otherwise, we do a couple meals like that a summer.
0: Do you? What do you pickle know. them then? You put them in vinegar or what?
2: Uh, honestly, I don't have the. It's not pickled. I don't have. I guess I don't know what it is. I don't have the recipe. We'll have, have to revisit this
0: in the summertime. Yeah, when we have green tomatoes. Yeah, I, thought I there have was a- pickling
2: too. You. I mean, you probably could. I just know that there's like a, like the, a, you know, a good ratio to can them so that way they're shelf stable, for
1: you know, future Here meals. Oh, that's for sure. Cool. Uh, but I might be confusing it with watermelon rind. I'm oh
3: yeah, people sure. do that too.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've never done anything with watermelon.
1: So rind.
3: how many days do y'all have in your like, growing time? Ooh, that's a great question
2: molly look
0: yours up i think oh, that yeah. mine is like 160 days 158 days or something like that
2: um i'm looking for mine here but i think i'm oh, now that i am changed zones i need to i'm gonna look up specifically 160
0: days okay yeah why,
2: why does mine not tell me that it just tells me my growing time is
3: june to september you should be able to google last frost date for whatever your zip code is and then first frost date that'll give you two dates then you can say how many days between x y and z and then there you go that's a lot of mathing.
1: it's really not the computer does it for you <laughs> we average 30 to 150 days <laughs> that is a swing <laughs>
0: that's ridiculous <laughs> Well, I think
1: they're talking about like because I live right against the foothills. So when you go up into the mountains, I believe it's 30 days. I mean, absolutely. I have 148
0: days.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're the same.
0: See, so like you're only 12 days longer of a growing. So you're a 4A and I'm a 5B, and the difference in growing zones is or growing season days is 12. Yeah. That's weeks. That's kind of silly. I it mean, I guess it puts it
3: in the perspective. I have anywhere from 200 <laughs> to 250 <laughs> days. <laughs>
1: uh, that's where last I'm going to be.
0: I know last year, Steph, you were all like, I'm getting my garden planted so late, so late. Because it was wasn't it like the end of June or something like that before you were getting like stuff into the ground. And I was like, yeah. dude, that's like when I'm planting my fall crops. Because they'll be mature enough then to like have anything to, you know, to, to harvest anything off of before it freezes. And she's like getting her first garden put in the ground when I'm like mapping out my fall garden.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's basically year round, you, you know, essentially. So yeah. cool. So cool. I mean,
3: because really, right now, we could have like, Brassicas yeah. and yeah. leafy greens, and really, my potatoes are supposed to go in like by Valentine's Day. My onions should have gone yeah. in a month ago.
1: What? It's, it's too hot. The ground gets too hot.
3: Potatoes here need to go in by
2: Good Friday. Like that's the rule of thumb Mm-mm. for valentine's zone is potatoes in the ground by Good Friday.
0: Is it hard to grow potatoes? I I I know I just said oh. like oh tenth year gardening, but I've never grown onions and I've never grown potatoes and I've never grown celery.
2: Okay, onions mine. are so easy.
0: Onions. Really?
1: <laughs> Brenna, how are onions? My
3: onions was... were this big.
1: And my potatoes are like this big. Yeah, Brenna grew
0: like Barbie food last year. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was very on theme with the movie
1: coming out.
0: It was so
2: yes.
1: cute. The carrots were like this big. I am <laughs> such a bad gardener, you guys. I'll grow the worms, okay? Like, that's what I'll grow. <laughs>
2: I personally think onions are so easy to grow. I just plant them like in between places, and I just let them go. And I don't know, they turn out really well for me. Um, I actually just cut up my last garden onion today for supper. Oh. Yeah, I know it's bummed, but they they're just so good. I didn't plant as many this year as I had in the past, so I'm not making it all the way through. Um, but they're they're really easy for us to grow um i've never done celery because we don't really, we're not a celery family i don't like celery yeah i know unpopular opinion right. um yeah. but uh potatoes also aren't super hard to grow i actually want to try growing sweet potatoes this year
0: do you for your onions do you do onion sets or do you do seed
2: sets i should i i have i have seeds on my order form to like order from this year But
1: I don't know. Sets are really easy. Hey there. Brenna here, interrupting the conversation to talk about our partner for this seed season, Heirloom's Evermore Seed Company. Started in 2006, they specialize in fast-growing varieties that do especially well in northern climates. But if you live further south, do not despair. You can fit multiple crops in a growing season because of their fast-growing nature. Their seeds are heirloom, which means non-GMO, hand-packaged and shipped straight to your door, making it easy for seasoned and new gardeners alike. Heirloom's Evermore Seed Company. Use our code, the Homestead Connection, to get an extra 10% off your order. Drop us a comment and let us know what you think. Thanks as always, and now, back to the podcast
0: i ordered the walla walla onion seeds from heirlooms evermore seed co when they did their big sale in january december december i don't remember um but i and i actually pulled that out today because i'm pretty sure if i'm gonna do onions from seed i need to plant them like yesterday Mm -hmm. so but i want to try i figure i'm gonna try i haven't done it i also want to try potatoes this year but then when you said good friday i'm like okay well i need to Need to need to do that. And I have big grow bags that I'd like to plant them in
1: potentially. So mm-hmm. make sure the soil is loose. Yeah.
3: Okay. Or I don't know if you've seen videos on this, but you can like surface plant them and then just cover them with straw. You just have to make sure that they stay covered. covered. And you don't have to dig for them. You just pull the straw away and pull what you need. I saw back. that
0: and I might do that actually that. because I have six straw bales that I don't that aren't going to be good for my there i use them for a wind block for my goat pen this winter mm-hmm. and they're pretty wet and so i'm not gonna like store them to reuse them for anything and i don't think that i'll be able to use them for bedding and uh so i might just like tear them apart and let them dry out and use that for potatoes
1: use them yeah. for mushrooms too. Muslims. mushrooms mushrooms yeah.
2: walla walla onions are about They take 125 days from seed. Wow, wow. Oh, wow, I still
0: have time. Yeah, so I still have plenty of time then. Yeah, Yeah. Steph, you have like 400 (laughs) days ahead of you to get your onions started.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They'd probably deal okay with your winter, really. I know. They'd probably be fine, as long as you don't have like a hard frost or whatever, keep them close to the house. The only
3: thing is our winter is when we get our rain. So, I'm kind of hesitant of doing anything that has to stay in the ground for a really long
1: time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it depends on how much rain you get. Rain Mm -hmm. in Florida, well, that happens year round, but ours is more of like summer, fall. So, when you guys are starting, like.
2: Oh, go ahead, Molly. Oh, no, you go ahead. (laughs) I was going to change subject.
0: So was I. Oh. What were you
2: gonna say? I was gonna say, so when you guys are starting your seeds, like for Kylie and I, we start all of our seeds indoor. Steph, like if you're starting seeds, can you can you have a greenhouse outside and do fine? Or do you have to start yours inside with a grow light?
3: Um, I don't own a grow light. Um <laughs> I have seed starting tray. If I'm going to start seeds, I'll do them in um, I think they're Maybe they're two inches. They might be four inches. I don't know. They're pretty big. They're not like the tiny, like 120 cell ones. They're pretty big because I don't want to go through the trouble of like up potting. That's a lot of work for me and I don't have time for that. So I just start them in a bigger pot and they can live in that for longer. And then I move them to their permanent home. (laughs) Um, But I have like a plastic dome that goes over them. So it's like a mini greenhouse. Um, Or I just direct. so. Yeah. That's nice.
2: That you're I was gonna to.
0: ask you what you direct sowed, like what you end up, like how much do you realistically, how much do you end up direct sowing versus starting from seed?
3: Well, that depends on when I start my garden. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> um, I've gone overboard in years past, so this year I'm trying to. Go with more of like this succession planting kind of mind and starting like one or two of each thing that I want to plant that can be started like corn and stuff. Obviously, that's going to be direct So, but right. um, like tomatoes, peppers, what else? Watermelon. Uh, <laughs> I haven't started watermelon like seed started. We've always just direct sown, but I kind of want to play with it, so we'll see. Uh, mm. but yes, watermelon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you said go overboard and that's kind of what i thought about was like your watermelon no that was Bo. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah um let me think squash cucumbers i don't know there's a few other things that i would do just like one or two cells of and then if it did good then great i'll just direct so for a second round mm-hmm. if not then i'll just direct so come time and it'll be fine
0: cool that's cool. I'm, I'm starting from seed again this year, will be starting from seed again this year, pretty much everything. Um, so peppers, tomatoes, any squash, pumpkins, um, green beans, because I, green beans for me end up having to be a succession planting situation. Cause I don't like pole beans i prefer bush beans mm-hmm. and so if i start so what i did last year for the first time and i really liked it is i i did like i think 35 cells of green beans and plant like i molly's eyes are huge a Yes, lot. it was but i didn't get that much so to, this is I, this is like a side topic but so i'm not trying to ruffle any feathers when i say this but like i don't feel like the fruit production with my heirloom seeds is as good as when I do like a hybrid seed or a modified seed or whatever. So 35 plants sounds like a lot and it is, but like I wasn't getting handfuls and handfuls and handfuls of green beans off of those 35 plants. So it's like, I planted those from seed indoors, like, you know, middle of February is when I started everything last year and transplanted them. And then the first week of June, I planted an entire second succession of green beans for like early August production. And I still don't feel like I got that as many green beans as I wanted to. And I know like a lot of us have thoughts about like the growing season last last year was really weird and why was that and Mm -hmm. different conversation for a different day. But part of that I just feel like is part of heirloom seed growing, Mm -hmm. you know, but that could just be me. I don't know. I
2: think that's a completely fair assessment because, you know, all the new modified seeds are modified to have higher yield and higher production just like you know commercial farming like that's what new seeds are made to do and so the heirloom ones you know and if you think about it like when these seeds were like when these plants were initially created and made to sustain life like people weren't consuming what how much we consume now like the diet has shifted Mm -hmm. and changed so much so like the production and the the need for these plants and like what needed to come off of them has drastically changed over time which in turn has now created you know all these modified plants and seeds and so i think that's a completely fair assessment when you say that your heirloom seeds don't produce as much as new age seeds
0: yeah totally so, yeah, so like I'm starting pretty much everything indoors at this point. And there's some stuff that I'll direct so later into the summer as uh, in like terms of succession. But essentially, like the only thing that I direct so outside the beginning of the year is like carrots, radishes, and leafy greens. So, like lettuce and celery, or lettuce, not celery, <laughs> lettuce and spinach, and then peas. DREXO peas and then that's it. Everything else. Oh, cucumbers. I DREXO cucumbers. Um, But cucumbers, that's another thing. And I'm not going to plant heirloom cucumbers this year. I do have uh, pickling cucumbers that I'll plant and try those out. But I did two years last year and the year before of heirloom cucumbers and my yield was terrible and the disease was terrible. And as much as I, huh? Which ones did you do? I did. um, I did two different. I did three different varieties. I did an English one. They were all from Baker Creek. I did English Dar, and then um, another like a little pickling, another little pickling cucumber from them. And um, I don't like. No shade. Like I don't love Baker Creek seeds. I know that that's like, like so many people are like, cult favorites with Baker Creek and that's fine. They've got beautiful marketing and pictures and all the things, but my germination and my yield on them, not great. Mm-hmm. But, um, this year I'm just going to plant like cucumbers from Menards, like just whatever little packets yeah, at the okay. corner end cap of wherever I met, wherever I met is what I'm going to end up planting this year. I've done and I'll the, Boston,
3: the Boston pickling mm-hmm. pickle cucumbers. <laughs> and I had a ton off of four plants.
2: That's good. Cucumbers are so interesting to me. I think this year I'm actually gonna try to trellis my cucumbers because I despise trying to crawl and look under all these leaves to find all the cucumbers. And you go out there two mm-hmm. days later and you miss some, and now they're the size of a whale. Like, you know, yeah, they go sure. from tiny little perfect sized cucumbers to like, what am I gonna do with this thing? You know? Yes. And yeah. So I'm gonna try to trellis my cucumbers this year. I trellis mine on and panels. They're so
0: good. Sorry, go ahead, Steph.
3: No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. I was just gonna say that mine are on cattle panel. Like mm-hmm. you like it? Over my bed.
0: Okay. Don't trellis yeah. them on chicken wire because the chicken wire will oh. collect. <laughs> yeah. I can do see that. that.
2: Yeah, I I have some mm-hmm. I've been collecting some cattle panels like when I find them on sale or whatever, just so I have them for or an auction, I actually just, my father-in-law got one for me on an auction for cheap. Um, and just so that way I have them for the summer, cause I wanna trellis my cucumbers, my peas, um, and just some different things. So we'll see how it goes.
0: When it comes to starting seeds, I think people who aren't seasoned seed starters will often just pick up like potting soil from, you know, wherever they're at, whether it's the farm store or the hardware store or whatever. And I did that for a lot of years like potting soil, like just your classic indoor potting soil mix versus getting an actual um, like seed start mix or whatever. Um, and the different there's the, there are differences between the soils where, okay, like, does it really make a difference? And I mean, I successfully grew gardens starting from seed with both types of soil. So, I mean, I'm not here to say like, you have to only use seed starting mix. Um, but the seed starting mix generally ends up being a little bit, uh, gentle. Well, I'm going to, I don't want to like, I don't know as much as I probably should, but it's typically a mix of like fertilizer, peat moss, soil. Um, it's not as dense. So like the water kind of filters out of it a bit faster because you run, you can run into issues with like mold and low germination rates if your seeds stay too wet for too long and all that stuff. Whereas like indoor potting mix is designed to like, yeah, it's got fertilizer and some peat moss and whatever in it, but it's like the composition of it, of it is different. You know, it wants mm-hmm. to be waterlogged longer and stuff like that. So that's always something to consider too, if you're new to starting seeds or like wanting to do a substantial garden from seed this year's, it is worth it in my opinion to grab the seed starting mix. And I don't think it's any more expensive. No. When I up pot my, I have to do a lot of up potting. Um, Last year, I had up pot twice. So I ended up doing three different sized pots because by the time I planted in February (laughs) and then was transplanting outside in May, it was just like, I didn't end up up potting everything, but some of the stuff like tomatoes and peppers and um, some other stuff I needed to continually up pot, um, I didn't use seed starting mix the whole stinking time. So. I think some of my seed
2: starting mix, too, also contains, like, I don't know, it's coconut something, like, from the outer shell of a coconut. More, yeah. yeah. And I sure. think that's really helpful because it does help the moisture. Like, it doesn't uh, retain it as much. That way, you don't get, like, the mold or whatever inside that, like, kills your germination. Yeah. And so, I yeah. I really like to find make sure, like, my seed starting mix has that coconut, whatever the word is,
1: in it. Um sure.
2: So, so it's you know it helps
1: yeah c-o-i-r yes, right Core. that word <laughs> yes. core that's how we say it, it's coconut yes. core
2: that's yeah i like that and like for me you know like so i start seeds for vegetables indoors right but i also start seeds mm-hmm. for flowers indoors for cut flowers and that's a whole nother ball game it's the same principle you're doing the exact same thing but you're doing a lot more successions on things so that way things are going to be you know cut and ready at different times different seasons um And so like I know we've talked a lot about starting in cells and up potting and different things like another way that you can start seeds indoors is is by um, Soil blocking and that's what I started doing last year, which I really like. Um, It's just a little bit different style instead of putting everything in the plastic containers. um, You just have a, a like a gadget that you stuff all your soil into you punch it out and you plant your seeds and you're good to go so it's just another method that you can do to start seeds indoors and it works with, you know, potting soil or seed starting mix as well. And it's a lot more
1: sustainable. It is.
2: Yeah. Definitely sustainable.
0: I saw an ad in terms of like on the thread of the sustainability topic, Epic Gardening is a, is a company, a brand, you probably are getting advertisements for them in your Instagram right now, as we all are. Um, But they have like really heavy duty, cells like seed starting cells and i almost bought some they're not that unreasonably priced it's like a pack of four i think it was 172 or 192 cells for like 30 dollars
3: oh wow and then they're
0: supposed to last for a long time
3: i got mine from bootstrap farmer
0: yeah um Uh
3: i can't remember how much they were but they were definitely more expensive than that i can't vouch for like quality comparison but
0: that's i've heard place. the ones yeah. from
2: bootstrap are really good and so i'd be interested to see the difference
0: they're really thick yeah and i i definitely can't speak to the uh quality of epic gardening at all i just i saw them i was clicking through their website one day and i was intrigued enough that i almost purchased them but i still have kind of some like really cheapo stuff from last year that'll get me through this year so mm. i'm gonna use what i have anyways
2: is there any tips that you guys have for when you're seed starting indoors like Um, for like, you know, your watering, like how much light do you give them a day? Do you, you know, like your light source, like any tips that you guys use that are, um, that would be helpful for anybody
3: else? No, because I don't start my seeds indoors. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I do want to say this might even work for y'all up North. I don't know that you would necessarily want to do this, but especially if you're just getting started, um, and I'm sure you've seen it on Instagram and TikTok and everywhere else, but you can take old like food containers um, milk jugs water jugs whatever yeah. like the clamshell things that you get your salad in or to go containers um, as long as it's a clear top you can put your seed starting mix or your potting soil because i don't use seed starting mix i know controversial but whatever <laughs> um <laughs> uh, because if i direct sow it then it's going to be in that medium anyway you know what i mean
0: yep yeah no that makes sense i get it i get it
3: so anyway um let's say you take you want to use like a milk jug that you have you cut it around like the circumference is that the right word that's the right word right (laughs) the circumference of it so that you can open it up you have your soil in the bottom poke some holes you have drainage plant your seeds in there put the top part back on there and you can duct tape it closed and then screw the top off to like water and everything. But that is essentially a mini greenhouse of something that you were already going to throw away that you can reuse. So You're not having to spend money to get seed starting trays and cells and the greenhouse domes and all of that. And you can go ahead and start it sitting it outside. I've seen people do this, like having it sitting on their back porch, patio mm-hmm. deck, whatever y'all call it up there. Um, yep with snow so it's it's possible Mm
1: -hmm. i've grown rice like that rice Mm
3: -hmm. really
1: yeah because you can keep it wet and like Mm. stock the water more
2: the only rice i mean wasn't like a lot of rice the only rice i've I've ever seen be grown is wild rice in the wild rice bogs in northern minnesota i've never seen anybody like grow it on a like individual level. So that's interesting. I'm that Yeah,
1: it's like, it was just in a little like a, a, you know, milk jug, right? But you can control the amount of water that you have in the milk jug for the oh. rice because they need that flat of water. And I mean, you could get a, quite a few jugs or even get like a big one and probably grow more, but we did it with the kids. It's it's also fun to grow, you know, food like that with the kids. It's just neat for them to watch yeah. it. So it's a nice interactive way of getting them interested in gardening. Yeah, it's interesting.
3: I did I, was, have, I, didn't I have
1: pictures of the rice somewhere. I'll find them. And Molly, you asked about
0: rice. Like, yes. <laughs> what did
1: you say?
0: Sorry, I'm not trying to be a butthead. No, that's about right.
1: <laughs>
0: Molly, you asked about like tips or whatever, and for growing, and I've done growing with lights and without lights. And there's been plenty of seasons that I've done some seeds just in the little black trays that have the clear lids that you do on top and stuff. The hardest thing with that is that the seeds, like that your little seedlings get so leggy so quickly because they're just like reaching and reaching Mm -hmm. and reaching for the light. And for the longest time when that happened to me, I would end up just like throwing away those seedlings, just scrapping them completely basically. But Especially with um like tomatoes and peppers and stuff, um, and peas, you can re not replant them, but you essentially, yeah, kind of replant them and just like bring the soil up higher around the long leggy mm-hmm. um stem of that seedling. So they're not completely lost. And I think that a lot of people feel very disheartened. And they they just can't start a garden from seeds because their seedlings get so leggy and they fall over and this and that. But if you replant them with the soil really up around the the stem of the seedling close to the leaves, you can still have like a really good successful plant from that seed still. um, I use grow lights now. And they're pretty like high tech grow lights. Um, My husband used to grow other things, wink, (laughs) wink, that he doesn't any longer. And so I have gotten to use the grow lights for my garden the last three years, which has been super nice. But the hardest part with that is that I can easily burn my Mm -hmm. plants. And, uh, that has last year I ended up burning quite a few. And so whether it was like in the dome fr- like, you know, the dome garden from, you know, Menards or your farm store or wherever, or my lights now, I always plant extra. So I'll plant an extra, like two or three tomato plants or I'll plant an extra, you know, whatever. So then if something goes wrong with a couple of the, the plants that I'm starting, And i have to toss them out then i have stuff to replace them
1: Mm. so with your extras it's also there's a gentleman around the corner from me he plants a ton and then he sells them for two dollars to start and so he'll make his money back but he's also got plenty of tomatoes you know
0: i talked about that a little bit in the how to make money on the homestead podcast Mm -hmm. which surprising surprisingly but not surprisingly that has been one of our best performing podcast episodes like everyone seems to really be enjoying that episode which i'm really glad for yeah. and i think it's a really valuable episode to show how we can like utilize our skills that we're already doing on a daily um to help bring in a little extra income but last year i did sell quite a few st- like plant starts and they were all i market quote unquote marketed them because i really i just posted about it on facebook basically um you know organic seed starting organic every organic fertilizer organic everything heirloom plant starts is what i what they were mm-hmm. and i sold them for like between four and six dollars per start depending on what they were and i had more people interested in purchasing them than what i was able to actually produce so me selling seed plant starts last year paid for you know, all of, all of the seeds that I bought last year, you know, any of the supplies I needed, we had to buy some new stuff for the garden that we trained, like we had to planted a new garden last year and stuff. So it's like, it is a good way to bring in an extra. I mean, I brought in a couple hundred bucks doing mm-hmm. that and, uh, it was, I was already down there watering and and you know making sure the light was right and you know of course you get a 100 million seeds in your packets sure. so you have the extras to plant anyways so it is not a bad idea to do that and a lot of people most people that you know aren't aren't starting their garden from seed most people you know are going and buying plant starts already Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so why not buy them from you and more and more people want organic more and more people understand the value of heirloom seeds over all of these genetically modified seeds and hybrid seeds Um, so i think there is a lot of value and whether you just want to give them away out of goodwill or try to make a little extra money too i think either is just a really great option Mm -hmm.
3: How do y'all water your starts? Like, do you bottom water or do you top water? Is that the right word? <laughs> I know what
2: you mean. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So because I, um, soil block mine, I have to be very careful with watering because there's nothing to contain them all together. And so I very carefully pour water into like the corners of my tray, So that way it, you know, it sucks into the the blocks, the soil blocks themselves. But then I had to like make sure I get them down in between all the rows. So I have to really pay attention and watch and be very meticulous when I'm watering. Um, because of the soil blocking. Prior to that, um, I would top water my seed starts that were in cells. Hmm. I bottom
1: water and mostly. I bottom water, I say I bottom
2: water mm-hmm. too. With I know. Can you not bottom water with the cell blocks? or the soil block so you uh, I essentially I am bottom watering because I'm just pouring it into like the the tray that I have them sitting in Mm -hmm. so they're soaking up Mm -hmm. from the bottom you know but they don't like I don't have like holes in the bottom of my tray like if I had a tray that was like um
0: you know like it's like double lined basic like there's like
2: yeah if i had like a like a double lined tray where i could pick it up and then put it down that would work but the trays that i use are completely flat okay yeah with no
3: holes so you don't so you don't have them in like no individual like squares with like a few of the cells and then you have okay you could
0: set it up that way though couldn't you if you wanted to i
3: could yeah i just i got
2: all these trays they're probably I don't know, twelve inches by eighteen or twenty inches long. That were for my mom's work. That have like an inch lip on them, and I have like a fifty stack of these trays, and they work fabulously. I can fit hundred and eighty of my little one-inch cells on these trays, Dang. and it's so nice. And they, you know, like I can separate them out. And so, like when I am starting my seeds for my flowers, I have a ton on one tray, hmm. and it's just a great space saver for me. So, like it, it the it works it's not the easiest for watering but it it, you know it works really well for what I'm doing could
1: you put like a layer of sand or something or like fine gravel in the bottom of it and then that would help with the drainage or is that like too much application
2: no I'm sure I could I haven't tried that but I'm sure I could try it
0: Hmm. that's interesting
1: that sounds really cool
0: I was finding with top watering with ours using the grow lights, that was contributing to the leaves burning,
1: Yep.
0: so Mm -hmm. I Mm. stay away from as much much moisture on top as possible. And I also find using the lights that, you know, when you have to transition your plants from like inside to outside, you have to like harden them off and you have to do it kind of slowly, otherwise you're going to shock your plant and whatever i don't feel like i like deal with as much like sun scorching issues using grow lights as i did when i was using my little greenhouse stuff Mm. um i mean obviously the cold is still a problem but
2: um i was gonna say though like talking about lights and stuff i know kylie you you use like grow lights i use shop lights so i don't have any specific special lights i just went and got shop lights from menards Mm. or hardware store I got like a pack of 12 lights for like $60 mm-hmm. and they come with chains and so then I can raise and lower them to where I need them on my shelf and they work just as good as a grow light and yeah. so if you're looking for a more affordable option versus those grow lights because those get to be super expensive especially if you need a, a bunch of them
3: that shop lights work pretty good too. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask so is the difference between the shop light and the grow light that one is i guess led and the other one is uv i think that there's a difference there yes what that
2: difference is i don't remember i know i researched it when i was looking up for my setup last year when i bought these shop lights and um in a lot of my flower starting facebook groups which flowers are can be very picky on light Mm. and um a lot of people said that they had great luck with chop lights and even though they weren't the grow lights that, you know, whatever. And so I was like, okay, we'll try it because it was a cheaper option and I was going to wing it and uh it worked and it was yeah. successful for us. So I don't know the whole difference. I know I knew the difference last year, but that was a whole year ago.
0: <laughs> no, but you're totally right. It's like, you don't need the fancy lights and like if you buy specific grow lights, you're going to be able to like manipulate how much of certain types of light they get. And, and the, yeah, but you don't have to have all of those things. And the majority of people who do grow their seeds with some tor- sort of, you know, artificial light source aren't getting the really expensive grow lights. So, um right. and you can still grow like in your window, you know? They die so fast. And, just and the other thing to-
2: too, I think that's yeah. common within seed starting is those heat mats. And I know some people really use those mm-hmm. seed those heat mats for germination for like the, you know, the first like seven to 10 days yeah. on, you know, the plants to keep like yeah. the, the human, you know, like them warm enough to germinate. Well, yeah, especially peppers. Um, I've never used them, but I know a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I just tend to keep the room where I have my seeds a little bit warmer than, you know, not. Fair. So, that was just one other thing I was thinking about.
3: I've never invested in all of the seed starting stuff aside from just the trays because and y'all know this i've said this time and time again i don't want to have to rely Mm -hmm. on having electricity Mm -hmm. to start my seeds absolutely (laughs) and i feel like i just go with i feel like where you live down in
2: texas like you're you're more able to do that like I would love to know how my grandma did it how many years ago and how successful it was because I know she had really good gardens. Like, I wish I could go back and talk to my grandma and ask her how she did it in Minnesota, started her seeds Uh and, you know, all the things. Because now I I realistically don't know how she would have done it without having that electricity. Like, I get that you use the sun and things, but like how cold it is, like, I I just I would love to have that conversation. Would you do cold frames? What was that?
3: Could you do cold frames? Like, do you have raised beds or in ground beds? In ground. You could still build like a cold frame Just sit down yep. over the bed and do your seed starting trays in that. Maybe. Yeah, and that's, I don't know. Yeah, like
2: I, I've looked into like half hoop houses and things like that that we could try. Um, I just haven't gotten that deep yet.
0: Yeah. The yeah. hoop house is definitely coming to our property, either if not in 2024, then definitely in 2025. Mm-hmm. They'd be so nice yeah. it's i think that it's going to be com- i think it's going to become imperative for people like us who are trying to produce a sustainable amount of food for our families to end up having hoop houses to protect mm-hmm. like our plants from mm-hmm. all the things and the if
3: you're yeah
2: If anybody's wanting to look into hoop houses or greenhouses or any type of structure for their plants, check with your local extension office or like your your university of whatever state you live in, because a lot of those places have agricultural grants for specific like greenhouses and hoop houses and things like that, that you, you know, a lot of them are like 50-50, like you pay half of it and they'll pay the second half. And so it's something to look into.
1: That is something to look into even in florida and warmer climates they're they're not a bad thing to have because most of the time at least from my in my experience we need shade Mm -hmm. so you need a way for your poor plants to get out of the sun and so hoop houses absolutely no matter where you are
3: yeah because i feel like putting a shade cloth on top of a hoop house would be easier than trying to put a shade cloth over your garden bed out in the open yeah Mm -hmm.
0: for
1: sure agreed yeah
0: One of the last things that I wanted to, like, just touch on, like, super fast, just as, like, a a little boost of encouragement, is, like, generally your seeds don't expire. So if you have seeds that you bought last year or even the year before, still plant them. Like, you don't have to buy all new stuff. And no, seeds are not expensive. Um, Generally speaking, they're not expensive. But it can get expensive if you're buying them year over year. But if you look at what you're spending on seeds and the way that food that you're producing is going to sustain your family. It's a heck of a lot cheaper than what you're buying from the grocery store. So like, if you want to buy new seeds or you need to buy new seeds, obviously, of course, like go ahead and do it. But if you have seeds that are still laying around and they say that they were all, you know, set up and packaged for the 2023 growing season, it's like, you can still use those for your 2024 growing season. So -hmm. I don't feel like you're not
2: signing a waiver like a conventional farmer that cannot use a seed after a season. Like you can still use it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, that's the benefit also of heirloom seeds, really, because then you have your own seeds. If you buy GMO seeds or you buy seeds that have been modified, they don't necessarily create seeds Mm -hmm. that will reproduce. And that's a
0: that's a huge point, Brenna is like, you know, while earlier I was like, you know, I don't feel like my heirloom seeds produce the same amount um of yield and I don't think they do the sustainability of those seeds is infinitely greater than the stuff that I'm going to buy that's like a hybrid or modified because I could save those seeds but they're not going to germinate and produce fruit next year whereas like I might have a lower yield and have to plant more plants to get the amount of fruit that I want from my plants with the heirloom seeds but I can harvest those seeds save them and then plant them next year and well, Frozen farms. to
3: mm-hmm. your point on like the heirloom seeds not producing as much yeah you think it could be that they just need to get acclimated to your area and then once that mm-hmm. happens like you plant all of your seeds for let's say your peas and then you save from the plants that grew this season plant mm-hmm. those for next year and they'll continue mm-hmm. to acclimate to your environment and they could Ooh. I don't know the science behind all of that, but they could potentially produce more because they have acclimated to where you are at.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a, actually a really good point. That's a really really good point because the heirloom companies that are out there are very like regional specific. You know, it's like they're growing and harvesting their seeds and like like heirlooms, Evermore Seed Co. They're in Idaho, you know, or like Baker Creek. They're also out west. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. and so i don't know where johnny seeds is but they have some heirloom stuff as well but it's just uh very regional so yeah maybe if once it acclimates to my region that would be better i mean it's essentially like breeding like when you're breeding like my goats i'm breeding them for like you know dairy certain dairy qualities you know Mm -hmm. my seeds then would be reproducing for you know a hardier northern climate yeah that's the one thing though and like heirlooms evermore seed co says that they're more cold hardy than other heirloom seeds and i wonder if there will be a difference with some of the stuff that i plant like i have two cucumber plants from them i think two for sure one that i'm planting this year and i'm curious if there'll be any difference from like my baker creek seeds that don't like promo that they're cold hardy or whatever i don't
1: know That that would be interesting to kind of just. TBD. I know you probably didn't take pictures of your other ones, but it'd be neat to kind of track that going forward. That I would
3: probably do that too because I have some, I have some heirloom Evermore and some Baker Creek, and I'm down south,
1: so that's obviously going to be a different climate than where they were at in Idaho, so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious about what what kind of heirloom companies we have further down south because Molly Um. was talking about one that's local in Minnesota. And I do think it's important, which is also nice to buy locally and buy close, you know what I mean? So if Idaho works for you, then that's where you go. If you need something more like Texas or Florida, then Mm -hmm. that's where you go, you know? Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, you guys, whether you are starting your seeds inside or you're able to direct sow them or you're able to plant them with a grow light, or you're just using God's natural light. We hope that this podcast episode has been fun and informative and encouraging to you. Before we go completely though, Molly over here in Minnesota has decided that she's sapping trees for the first time. And so I thought it would be fun for her to like give us a little update on her sapping experience. We need to think of like a name for the segment. Molly's sapping Molly's sappy something. section. Oh, never mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Molly's super sapping adventure. No. Maple talk with Molly.
0: What was that, Molly? Maple talk with Molly. Maple talk <laughs> with Molly is so much better steps oh so funny anyways molly tell us about the sapping uh that you're doing because i'm curious and i know a lot of people are too
2: yeah it's something that i we were actually walking in the woods this year at our hunting land and it's called oak hill because there's so many oak trees and i asked my husband i was like why do we call this oak hill because the forest floor is filled with maple leaves like why do we call this oak hill So it really started then. And I was like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find some maple trees. I'm going to tap some trees this year and see if I can get some syrup made. And so, first of all, the biggest challenge for me is tree identification in the winter with no leaves is extremely difficult. Oh, yeah. I I did not think it was going to be that hard because these trees are like hundreds of years old and you know like looking for the branching i'm looking up into the canopy of these trees and i i can hardly see it and so um it's been really it's been kind of humbling like trying to identify trees um but i have a total of 10 taps in right now in our trees um Mm -hmm. i am i'm on eight different trees so depending on the size of your tree you can have more than one tap inside of a tree um it just kind of depends on the diameter of the tree itself so um i have 10 total taps running and today is day four of collecting sap and i hit 30 gallons of sap today and so I'm, I'm really impressed with it um so traditionally um it takes between 30 and 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon uh-huh. of maple syrup so That's most wild. people say it's about a 40 to 1 ratio, depending on kind of your your sugar content um, and like how much like water vapor is going to be um, boiled off when you're in the boiling process. And yeah. so, you know, I'm sitting at about 30 gallons today and our weather is um, hitting cold now. And so I won't probably be getting much for the next week. So we're going to be boiling down here this weekend. Um, well, at the time this will be up, I'll, I've already boiled it, so I'll be boiling my sap down, uh, like the tenth of February, and we'll see what we get. Um, I've been documenting it all on Instagram, and I've had a ton of people messaging me, a ton of people like reaching out and saying, "Hey, how are you doing this? What are you doing? Why did you choose this system?" And so there's a lot of questions that I've been answering over there, um, because I, you know, most people think of maple syrup, and you have like you know, these old. Spigots and Lucky. these like metal pails that are on the trees. Like, yeah, I'm using a different style where I'm using bags, which is working really well. Where then other people are using lines and they're running like hoses from tree to tree to one major collection system. So, there's a lot of different ways you can collect maple sap to make syrup. Um, and I'm just dabbling in it this year, kind of started it on a whim. And I have gotten so hooked. Like I saw this meme that said, or reel that said, have you ever found something in the homestead community that you have just like attached yourself to and it's become your whole identity? And that is maple sap and like tapping trees right now. It's like become my whole identity. So cool. And so it's, it's, it's been really fun. If you're into instant gratification and you are in a colder climate or a climate where you can tap trees, I highly recommend it. It is so satisfying.
0: That's, so cool. That's cool. And Molly's gonna do updates on her. Um, we'll have Molly's maple <laughs> talks and updates this spring as she's like tap, like sapping, collecting sap. My, I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Tapping, tapping and
1: sapping babies. <laughs> Woo!
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we'll like follow the process with her. We really thought about like having someone on the podcast to talk about tapping trees, but then I kind of got late, and so Molly's doing really we can live vicariously through her and learn along with you yeah which is super fun and i'll have molly's um like instagram handle below uh so you guys can go follow and like follow her daily updates with the her maple sap collection and then see how the boiling process went for her and stuff and then Also in the description or the show notes we'll have, I'll put the episode for the Making Money on the Homestead since we talked a little bit about that one with the seed starts and all that. And then of course, Heirlooms Evermore Seed Co. information will be down below and stuff like that too. I also have a whole resource section on your growing zones and seed starting, um, both free resources on different websites online that are like really top notch quality websites. And then also a lot of different YouTube videos to watch on seed starting. Some of them are like how much you should plant for your whole family to like feed your family for a year from your garden. Like some of the stuff is very basic. And then some of the stuff is a little bit more in depth, but regardless, all of the information that, um, all of the information is free and it's like really good quality stuff. So it'll be in the show notes. It's also over on our Patreon website. And then also the homesteadconnection.com website. So we'll have it three different spots. So it's just like very accessible for you guys. And then speaking of the Patreon, we actually have a new um, conversation that'll be coming very shortly. Um, So if you're not over on our Patreon, the link will be down in the show notes as well. So you guys can like join us over there because we've been having some really interesting conversations over there about stuff we can't really talk about here in a more public setting, stuff that's a little bit more like edgy and maybe airing on the verge of controversial, (laughs) but still is like really important to talk about. So anyways, all that stuff will be below. So yeah, anyways. I hope you guys have a great day. Thanks for joining us, and happy Valentine's Day. Bye. Kiss your loved one and hug your kids. Or
1: whatever. (laughs)